Act One of Love and a Bottle by George Farquhar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dedication To the Right Honorable Peregrine, Lord Marquis of Carmarthen, etc. My Lord, being equally a stranger to your lordship and the whole nobility of this kingdom something of a natural impulse and aspiring motion in my inclinations has prompted me though i hazard a presumption to declare my respect and be the success how it will i am vain of nothing in this place but the choice of my patron i shall be so far thought a judicious author whose principal business is to design his works in offering to the greatest honor and merit i cannot hear my lord stand accused of any sort of adulation but to myself because compliments due to merit return upon the giver and the only flattery is to myself whilst i attempt your lordship's praise i dare make no essay on your lordship's youthful bravery and courage because such is always guarded with modesty but shall venture to present you some lines on this subject which the world will undoubtedly apply to your lordship courage the highest gift that scorns to bend to mean devices for a sordid end courage an independent spark from heaven's bright throne by which the soul stands raised triumphant high alone great in itself not praises of the crowd above all vice it stoops not to be proud courage the mighty attribute of powers above by which those great in war are great in love the spring of all brave acts is seated here as falsehoods draw their sordid birth from fear the best and noblest part of mankind pay homage to royalty what veneration then is due to those virtues and endowments which even engage the respect of royalty itself in the person of one of the greatest emperors in the world who chose your lordship not only as a companion but a conductor he wasted the fire of such a briton to animate his cold russians and would therefore choose you his leader in war as in travel he knew the fury of the turk could be only stopped by an english nobleman as the power of france was by an english king a sense of this greatness which might deter others animates me to address your lordship resolved that my first muse should take a high and daring flight i aspire to your lordship's protection for this trifle which i must own myself now proud of affording me this opportunity of humbly declaring myself my lord your lordship's most devoted servant g farquhar dramatis personae roebuck an irish gentleman of a wild roving temper newly come to london read by algie pug lovewell his friend sober and modest in love with lucinda read by todd Mockmode, a young squire, come newly from the university, and setting up for a bow. Read by Thomas Peter. Lyric, a poet, read by Jason in Panama. Pamphlet, a bookseller, read by Abai. Brigadoon, a dancing master, read by Son of the Exiles. Nimble wrist, a fencing master read by kurt club servant to mock mode read by trisha g 
brush servant to love oil led by craig franklin lucinda a lady of considerable fortune read by lian yao lianthi sister to lovewell in love with roebuck and disguised as lucinda's page read by sonia trudge whore to roebuck read by linda olsen feitak widow bullfinch landlady to mahmoud lyric and trudge read by t j burns pendris attendant and confidant to lucinda read by jesse percival bailiff number one read by roger moline bailiff two read by larry wilson cripple read by alan mapstone porter read by owen cook boy read by larry wilson mask one read by nemo second mask read by sandra servant read by eva davis stage directions read by tom penn scene london prologue by j h spoken by mr powell a servant attending with a bottle of wine as stubborn atheists who disdain to pray repent though late upon their dying day so in their pangs most authors racked with fears implore your mercy in our suppliant prayers but our new author has no cause maintained let him not lose what he has never gained love and a bottle are his peaceful arms ladies and gallants have not these some charms for love all mankind to the fair must sue and sirs the bottle he presents to you health to the play drinks even let it fairly pass sure none sit here that will refuse their glass oh there's a damning soldier let me think he looks as he were sworn to what to drink drinks come on then foot to foot be boldly set and our young author's new commission wet he and his bottle here attend their doom from you the poet's helicon must come if he has any foes to make amends he gives his service drinks sure you now are friends no critic here will he provoke to fight the day be theirs he only begs his night pray pledge him now secured from all abuse then name the health you love let none refuse but each man's mistress be the poet's muse love and a bottle act one scene one lincoln's end fields enter roebuck repeating the following line thus far our arms have with success been crowned <laughs> heroically spoken faith of a fellow that has not one farthing in his pocket if i have one penny to buy a halter with oil in my present necessity may i be hanged though i am reduced to a fair way of obtaining one methodically very soon if robbery or theft will purchase the gallows but hold could i rob honourably by turning soldier enter cripple begging one farthing for the poor old soldier for the lord's sake ah a glimpse of damnation just as a man is entering into sin 
is no great policy of the devil but how long did you bear arms friend five years and please you sir and how long has that honourable crutch borne you fifteen sir very pretty five year a soldier and fifteen a beggar this is hell right an age of damnation for a momentary offence thy conditioned fellow is preferable to mine the merciful bullet more kind than thy ungrateful country has given thee an adventure in thy broken leg from which thou canst draw a more plentiful maintenance than i from all my limbs in perfection prithee friend why wouldst thou beg of me dost think i am rich no sir and therefore i believe you charitable your warm fellows are so far above the sense of our misery that they can't pity us and i have always found it by sad experience as needless to beg of a rich man as of a clergyman our greatest benefactors the brave officers are all disbanded and must now turn beggars like myself and so times are very hard sir what are the soldiers more charitable than the clergy ay sir a captain will say damn me and give me sixpence and a parson shall whine out god bless me and give me not a farthing now i think the officer's blessing much the best are the bow never compassionate the great full wigs they wear stop their ears so close that they can't hear us and if they should they never have any farthings about em then i am a bow friend therefore pray leave me begging from a generous soul that has not to bestow is more tormenting than robbery to a miser in his abundance prithee friend be thou charitable for once i beg only the favour which rich friends bestow a little advice i am as poor as thou art and am designing to turn soldier no no sir see what an honourable post i'm forced to stand to my rags are scarecrows sufficient to frighten any one from the field rather turn bird of prey at home showing his crutch gramercy o oh, devil i find hell has its pimps of the poorer sort as well as those of the wealthy i fancy friend thou hast got a cloven foot instead of a broken leg tis a hard case that a man must never expect to go nearer heaven than some steps of a ladder but tis unavoidable i have my wants to lead and the devil to drive and if i can't meet my friend lovewell which i think impossible being so great a stranger in town fortune thou hast done thy worst i proclaim open war against thee i'll stab thy next rich darling that i see and killing him be thus revenged on thee retires to the back part of the stage as into the walks making some turns across the stage in disorder exit cripple 
Enter Lucinda and Pendris. Oh, these summer mornings are so delicately fine, Pendris. It does me good to be abroad. Aye, madam. These summer mornings are as pleasant to young folks as the winter nights to married people. Or as your morning of beauty to Mr. Lovewell. I'm violently afraid the evening of my beauty will fall to his share very soon, for I am inclinable to marry him. I shall soon lie under an eclipse, Pindress. Then it must be full moon with your ladyship, but why would you choose to marry in summer, madam? I know no cause, for that people are aptest to run mad in hot weather, unless you take a woman's reason. What's that, madam? Why, I am weary of lying alone. Oh, dear madam! Lying alone is very dangerous. Tis apt to breed strange dreams. I had the oddest dream last night of my courtier that is to be, Squire Mockmode. He appeared crowded about with the dancing-master, pushing-master, music-master, and all the throng of bow-makers, and methought he had mimicked foppery so awkwardly that his imitation was downright burlesquing it. I burst out a-laughing so heartily that I wakened myself. But dreams go by contraries, madam. Have you not seen him yet? No. But my uncle's letter gives account that he's newly come to town from the university, where his education could reach no farther than to guzzle fat ale, smoke tobacco, and chop logic. Oh, it makes me sick. But he's very rich, madam. His concerns join to yours in the country. Aye, but his concerns shall never join to mine in the city. For since I had the disposal of my own fortune, Lovewell is the man for my money. Aye, and for my money, for I've had above twenty pieces from him since his courtship began. He's the prettiest, sober gentleman, and I have so strong an opinion of his modesty that I'm afraid, madam, your first child will be a fool. Oh, God forbid! I hope a lawyer understands business better than to beget anything non compos the walks fill apace the enemy approaches we must set out our false colours put on their masks we masks are the purest privateers madam how would you like to cruise about a little well enough had we no enemy but our fops and sits but i dread these blustering men of war the officers who after a broadside of dams and sinkmes are for boarding all masks they meet as lawful prize in truth madam and most of them are lawful prize for they generally have french wear under hatches oh hideous oh my conscience girl thou art quite spoiled an actress upon the stage would blush at such expressions ay madam and your ladyship would seem to blush in the box when the redness of your face proceeded from nothing but the constraint of holding your laughter did you chide me for not putting a stronger lace in your stays when you had broke one as strong as a hempen cord with containing a violent tee-hee at a smutty jest in the last play go go thou art a naughty girl thy impertinent chat has diverted us from our business i am afraid lovewell has missed us for want of the sign but whom have we here an odd figure some gentleman in disguise i believe had he a finer suit on i should believe him in disguise for i fancy his friends have only known him by that this twelvemonth his mien and air show him a gentleman and his clothes demonstrate him a wit he may afford us some sport i have a female inclination to talk to him 
Hold, madam. He looks as like one of those dangerous men of war you just now mentioned as can be. You had best send out your pinnace before to discover the enemy. No, I'll hail him myself. Moves towards Roebuck. What, sir? Dreaming? Slaps him on the shoulder with her fan. Roebuck, sullenly. Yes, madam. Of what? Of the devil. And now my dream's out. What? Do you dream standing? Yes, faith lady. Very often when my sleep's haunted by such pretty goblins as you. You're a sort of dream I would fain be reading. I'm a very good interpreter indeed, madam. Are you then one of the wise men of the East? No, madam, but one of the fools of the West. Pray, what do you mean by that? An Irishman, madam, at your service. Oh, horrible! An Irishman! A mere wolf-dog, I protest! Been surprised, child. The wolf-dog is as well-natured an animal as any of your country bulldogs, and a much more fawning creature, let me tell ye. Lays hold of her. Pray, good Caesar, keep off your paws. No scraping acquaintance, for heaven's sake. Tell us some news of your country. I have heard the strangest stories, that the people wear horns and hoofs. Yes, Feath, a great many wear horns. But we had that, among other laudable fashions, from London. I think it came over with your mode of wearing high top knots. For ever since, the men and the wives bear their heads exalted alike. They were both fashions that took wonderfully. Then you have ladies among you? Yes, yes, we have ladies. And whores. Colleges and playhouses, churches and taverns, fine houses and bawdy houses. In short, everything that you can boast of, but fops, poets, toads, and adders. But have you no beau at all? Yes. You come over like the woodcocks, once a year. And have your ladies no springes to cash them in? No, madam. Our own country affords as much better wildfowl, but they are generally stripped of their feathers by the playhouse and taverns, in both which they pretend to be critics, and our ignorant nation imagines a full wig as infallible a token of a wit as the laurel. Oh, Lord! And here tis the certain sign of a blockhead. But why no poets in Ireland, sir? Faith, madam, I know not, unless St. Patrick sent them a-packing with other venomous creatures out of Ireland. Nothing that carries a sting in its tongue can live there. But since I have described my country, let me know a little of England by sight of your face. Come you to particulars first. Pray, sir, unmask by telling who you are, and then I'll unmask and show who I am. You must distinguish your attendance, then, madam, for the distinguishing particular of me is a secret. Sir, I can keep a secret as well as my mistress, and the greater the secrets are, I love em the better. Can't they be whispered, sir? Oh, yes, madam, I can give you a hint by which you may understand em. Pretends to whisper, and kisses her. Sir, you're impudent! Nay, madam, since you're so good at minding folks, have with you. 
catches her fast, carrying her off. Help! 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 Enter Lovewell, Brush following. Villain! Unhand the lady, and offend thyself! Draws. What? No daring's in this country? No has the devil very opportunely set me a throat to quit. Pray heaven his pockets be well lined. Quits Lucinda, who goes off with Pendris. Have it thee! St. George for England! They fight. After some passes, Roebuck starts back and pauses. Ha! My friend Lovewell! My dear Roebuck! Fling down their swords and embrace. Shall I believe my eyes? You may believe your ears. Tis I, by God. Why, thy being in London is such a mystery that I must have the evidence of more senses in one to confirm me of its truth. But pray, unfold the riddle. Why, Faith, tis a riddle. You wonder at it before the explanation, then wonder more at yourself for not guessing it. What is the universal cause of the continued evils of mankind? The universal cause of our continued evil is the devil, sure. No, tis the flesh, Ned. That very woman that drove us all out of paradise has sent me a packing out of Ireland. How so? Only tasting the forbidden fruit, that was all. Is simple fornication become so great a crime there as to be punishable by no less than banishment? Egad, mine was double fornication, Ned. The jade was so pregnant to bear twins. The fruit grew in clusters, and my unconscionable father, because I was a rogue in debauching her, would make me a fool by wedding her. But I would not marry a whore, and he would not own a disobedient son. And so? But was she a gentlewoman? Psha! No, she had no fortune. She wore indeed a silk manteau and high head. But these are grown as little signs of gentility nowadays as that is of chastity. But what necessity forced you to leave the kingdom? I'll tell you. To shun the insulting authority of an incensed father, the dull and often repeated advice of impertinent relations, the continual clamours of a furious woman, and the shrill bawling of an ill-natured bastard. From all which, good Lord, deliver me. And so you left them to Grandada. <laughs> Heaven was pleased to lessen my affliction by taking away the she-brat. But the tether is, I hope, well, because a brave boy, whom I christened Edward, after thee, Lovewell, I made bold to make my man stand for you, and your sister sent her maid to give her a name to my daughter. Now you talk of my sister. Pray, how does she? Dear Lovewell, a very miracle of beauty and goodness. But I don't like her. Why? She's virtuous, and I think beauty and virtue are as ill-joined as lewdness and ugliness. But I hope your arguments could not make her a proselyte to this profession. Faith, I endeavoured it, but that plaguy honour, damn it for a whim, were it as honourable for women to be whores as men to be whoremasters, we should have lewdness as great a mark of quality among the ladies as tis now among the lords. What? Do you hold no innate principle of virtue in women? We hold an innate principle of love in them. Their passions are as great as ours, 
to reason weaker. We admire them, and consequently they must us. And I beg to tell thee once more, that had women no safeguard, but your innate principle of virtue, honest George Roebuck would have lain with your sister, Ned, and should enjoy a countess before night. But methinks, George, t'was not fair to tempt my sister. Methinks t'was not fair of thy sister, Ned, to tempt me. As she was thy sister, I had no design upon her. But as she's a pretty woman, I could scarcely forbear her, were she my own. But upon serious reflection, could not you have lived better at home, by turning thy whore into a wife, than here by turning other men's wives into whores? There are merchant ladies in London, and you must trade with them, for aught I see. Ay, but is the trade open? Is the manufacture encouraged, old boy? Oh, wonderfully! A great many poor people live by it. Though the husbands are for engrossing the trade, the wives are altogether for encouraging interlopers. But I hope you have brought some small stock to set up with. Robach aside. The greatness of my wants which would force me to discover em, makes me blush to own em. Aloud. Why, faith, Ned, I had a great journey from Ireland hither, and would burden myself with no more than just necessary charges. Oh, then you have brought bills? No, faith. Exchange of money from Dublin hither is so unreasonable high that... What? That... Thunes, I have not one farthing... No, you understand me. No, Faith, I never understand one that comes in forma pauperis. I haven't studied the law so long for nothing. But what prospect can you propose of a supply? I'll tell you. When you appeared, I was just thanking my stars for sending me a throat to cut, and consequently a purse. But my knowledge of you prevented me of that way, and therefore I think you're obliged in return to assist me by some better means. You were once an honest fellow, but so long study in the ends may alter a man strangely, as you say. No, dear Roebuck, I'm still a friend to thy virtues, and esteem thy follies as foils only to set them off. I did but rally you, and to convince you, here are some pieces, share of what I have about me. Take them as earnest of my father's supply. You know my estate sufficient to maintain us both, if you will either restrain your extravagancies, or I retrench my necessaries. The profession of kindness is so great that I could almost suspect it of design. But come, friend, I am heartily tired with the fatigue of my journey, besides a violent fit of sickness which detained me a month at Coventry to the exhausting my health and money. Let me only recruit by a relish of the tone in love and a bottle, and then... As they are going off, Roebuck starts back, surprised. Oh, heavens and earth! What's the matter, man? Why, death and the devil! Oh, what's worse, a woman and a child! Oons! Don't you see Mrs. Trudge with my bastard in her arms crossing the field towards us? Oh, the indefatigable whore to follow me all the way to London. Mrs. Trudge? My old acquaintance? Ay, ay, the very same. Your old acquaintance, and for aught I know, you might have clubbed about getting the brats. 
"'Tis but reasonable, then, I should pay share at the reckoning. "'I'll help to provide for her. "'In the meantime, you had best retire. "'Brush, conduct this gentleman to my lodgings, "'and run from thence to Widow Bullfinch's, "'and provide a lodging with her for a friend of mine. "'Fly, and come back presently.' Exeunt Roebuck and Brush "'So my friend comes to town like the great Turk to the field, "'attended by his concubines and children.' and I'm afraid these are but parts of his retinue. But hold, I shan't be able to sustain the shock of this woman's fury. I'll withdraw till she has discharged her first volley, then surprise her. Retires behind. Enter Trudge, with child crying. Hush, hush, hush. And indeed it was a young traveller. And what would it say? It says that Daddy is a false man, a cruel man, and an ungrateful man. In troth, so he is, my dear child. What shall I do with it, poor creature? Hush, hush, hush! Was ever poor woman in such a lamentable condition, immediately after the pains of one travail, to undergo the fatigues of another? but I'm sure he can never do well, for though I can't find him, my curses and the misery of this babe will certainly reach him. Lovewell, coming forward. Methinks I should know that voice. What? Mrs. Trudge, and in London. Whose brave boy hast thou got there? Oh, Lord, Mr. Lovewell, I'm very glad to see you. And yet I'm ashamed to see you. But indeed, he promised to marry me. And you know, Mr. Lovewell, that he's such a handsome man and has so many ways of insinuating that the frailty of women's nature could not resist him. What's all this? A handsome man? Ways of insinuating? Frailty of nature? I don't understand these ambiguous terms. Ah, Mr. Lovewell, I'm sure you have seen Mr. Roebuck, and I'm sure twould be the first thing he would tell you. I'll refer it to you, Mr. Lovewell, if he is not an ungrateful man to deal so barbarously with any woman that had used him so civilly. I was kinder to him than I would have been to me own born brother. Oh, then I find kissing goes by favour, Mrs. Trudge. Faith, you're all alike. You men are all alike. Poor child. He's as like his own dad as if he were spit out of his mouth. See, Mr. Lovewell, if he has not Mr. Roebuck's nose to a hair, and you know he has a very good nose, and the little pig's knee has Mama's mouth, Oh, the little lips, and tis the best-natured little dear. <sniffs> Snuggles and kisses it. And would it ask its godfather blessing? Indeed, Mr. Lovewell, I believe the child knows you. <laughs> well, I will give it my blessing. Gives it gold. Re-enter Lucinda and Pendrus, who, seeing the others, instantly abscond. Come, madam, I'll first settle you in a lodging, and then find the false man, as you call him. Exit with trudge. Lucinda, coming forward. The false man is found already. 
was there ever such a lucky discovery my care for his preservation brought me back and now behold how my kindness is returned their fighting was a downright trick to frighten me from the place thereby to afford him opportunity of entertaining his whore and brat your conjecture madam bears a colour for looking back i could perceive him talking very familiarly so that they could not be strangers as their pretended quarrel would intimate tis all true as he is false what slighted despised my honourable love trucked for a whore o oh, villain epitome of thy sex but i'll be revenged i'll marry the first man that asks me the question nay though he be a disbanded soldier or a poor poet or a senseless fop nay though impotent i'll marry him oh madam that's to be revenged on yourself i care not fool i deserve punishment for my credulity as much as he for his falsehood and you deserve it too minx your persuasions drew me to this assignation i never loved the false man Pendrus, aside that's false i'm sure but you thought to get another piece of gold we shall have him giving you money on the same score he was so liberal to his whore just now walks about in a passion re-enter lovewell brush following so much for friendship now for my love i haven't transgressed much oh there she is oh my angel runs to lucinda oh thou devil starts back not unless you damn me madam you're damned already you're a man exit pushing pendrus you're a woman i'll be sworn hey day what giddy female planet rules now by the lord these women are like their maidenheads no sooner found than lost here brush run after pendress and know the occasion of this stay come back soon's i'm a fool that's the first wise word you have spoken these two months trouble me with your untimely jest sirrah and i'll your pardon sir i'm in downright earnest aside tis less slavery to be apprenticed to a famous clap surgeon than to a lover he falls out with me because he can't fall in with his mistress i can bear it no longer sirrah what are you mumbling a short prayer before i depart sir i have been these three years your servant but now sir i'm your humble servant bows as going hold you shan't leave me sir you can't be my master why so because you're not your own master yet one would think you might for you have lost your mistress oon sir let her go and a fair riddance who throws away a tester and a mistress loses sixpence that little pimping cupid is a blind gunner had he shot as many darts as i have carried billet's dough he would have laid her kicking with her heels up here now in short sir my patience is worn to the stumps with attending my shoes and stockings are upon their last legs with trudging between you i have sweat out all my moisture of my hand with palming your clammy letters upon her i have hold sir your trouble is now at an end for i design to marry her and have you courted her these three years for nothing but a wife do you think rascal 
I would have taken so much pains to make her a miss? No, sir, the tenth part on't would have done. But if you are resolved to marry, God be we. What's the matter now, sirrah? Why, the matter will be that I must then pimp for her. Hark ye, sir, what have you been doing all this while but teaching her the way to cuckold ye? Take care, sir, look before ye leap. You have a ticklish point to manage. Can ye tell, sir, what's her quarrel to you now? I can't imagine. I don't remember that ever I offended her. That's it, sir. She resolves to put your easiness to the test now, that she may with more security rely upon hereafter. Always suspect those women of designs that are for searching into the humours of their courtiers, for they certainly intend to try them when they're married. How camest thou such an engineer in love? I have sprung some minds in my time, sir, and since I have trudged so long about your amorous messages, I have more intrigue in the sole of my feet than some blockheads in their whole body. Sirrah, have you ever discovered any behaviour in this lady to occasion this suspicious discourse? Sir, has this lady ever discovered any behaviour of yours to occasion this suspicious quarrel? I believe the lady has as much of the innate principle of virtue, as the gentleman said, as any woman. But that baggage, her attendant, is about ravishing her lady's page every hour. Tis an old saying, like master, like man. Why not as well, like mistress, like maid? Lovewell, aside. Since thou art for trying humours, have with you, Madame Lucinda. Besides, so fair an opportunity offers, that faith seemed to design it. Aloud. Have you left the gentleman at my lodgings? Yes, sir, and sent a porter to his inn to bring his things thither. That's right. Love, like other diseases, must sometimes have a desperate cure. The school of Venus imposes a strict discipline, and awful Cupid is a chastening god. He whips severely. No, not if we kiss the rod. Exeunt. End of Act One.